0: Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We're so thankful to be here in the beautiful place of Albuquerque at New Life City. And uh, I remember, you know, I think there's, there's something about the Lord that if he wants you to be somewhere, he kind of like makes you fall in love with it, you know? And, uh, and Ruth and I, when we came here, we, we fell in love with, with you guys and the, um, uh, the church here and and even the city. And um, I said, Alan, how come nobody knows about this place? And he goes, it's a hidden gem. Don't tell anybody. It's our secret. And uh, I just, so we've been, um, we've been so thankful. Ruth and I, um, I wish she was here. She's, she's uh, hurting children at the moment. Um, we have uh, four kids. Uh, we have a five-year-old named Shiloh. We have a four-year-old named Freya. We have a three-year-old named Oscar. And we have a one-year-old named Charlotte. And uh, my wife, her name is Ruth, and when she's not with me, I'm absolutely ruthless. All right, that's my dad jokes for the day, I'm sorry, I had to get them out, so sorry about that. It's just, when you're a dad, you got, dads know, am I right? Come on, just, you just can't help it when you're a dad, you just gotta say those things. So, well, I'm excited to, Um, Not just because I'm with you this Sunday, but because it is a special Sunday. It is Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who rose again on the third day. And there's nothing more important than the resurrection of Jesus See, it'll always be about Jesus. It always was about Jesus. It'll always be about Jesus. It always is about Jesus. It'll never not be about Jesus. Even, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, when we receive the Spirit of Christ, we, we, when we receive Christ, we have the Spirit of Christ within us. God the Father, he's in heaven. Jesus ascended unto the Father after 40 days, and he poured out his Spirit upon us. So we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit always proclaims the message of Christ. So when you have the Spirit, you have Jesus as well. You're proclaiming the message of Christ. And so um, he is good. So I want to read from our text. You know, when you go to preacher school, when you go to ministry school, they tell you, you know, don't preach more than like one to three verses, You Know because people can't hang longer than that, so I'm gonna break like the the rule. I'm gonna like read eight verses. Is that all right? Can you you hang with me? It's a, or I can say more dad jokes. I mean, we could do a lot of things. I don't know. No, you'll run, you'll want me to read the scriptures, nothing better. Than the scripture. I want to read to you from Luke 23 55. Uh, Obviously, Good Friday, if you were here for Good Friday, um, we uh, uh, celebrated the death of Jesus Christ. Christ, his death on the cross, the atonement of our sins. And, uh, and so uh, in the scriptures, we're now on Sunday, which is about the third day, two and a half days really, but the third day where Jesus is risen from the grave. And you have this crazy scenario as the disciples are terrified, hiding in, in a room. Some are, are, are on a road a, uh, to Emmaus, some are uh, 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 going fishing. There's, there's all different things that are happening during this moment. And, um, and the women, God bless, faithful women of God. Amen. Who even in the midst of their disappointment decide to continue preparation. It says in Luke 23, we'll go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 23 verse 55. It says this, Now the, woman, the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb, and how his body was laid, and then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So on Friday, they saw that that body was where, where that body was buried that body uh, the body of jesus was was buried in a rich man 's tomb named joseph of uh, Arimathaea. i 'm always going to pronounce that name wrong uh, but but you know it 's always interesting i don 't know what it means, but it 's like Jesus' father, you know, the, the, person, the man who brought Jesus into the world, like who you know, was there at the manger was Joseph, and the man who lays him down, his name's Joseph too. They're not related, but it's just interesting that both are Joseph. But anyway, he's laying in Joseph's tomb. Joseph, is it a tomb that he owned. They lay Jesus' body there. They see that body, they're, they're saying, we're gonna go prepare spices and ointments, and, uh, and they can't do it on a Saturday because that's the Sabbath. So on Sunday, they're starting to go towards the tomb. So let's keep going. Uh, <clears throat> verse 24, verse one, it says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, which is in itself a miracle because you would have to have uh, many strong grown men to push that Uh, uh, stone away. And so it says in, in verse three, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Or why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen Remember how he spoke to you, come on, while he was in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. This is so interesting that two and a half days before Jesus is crucified at the communion table, he had prophesied of his death and resurrection and actually told the disciples what was going to happen. Actually, even in, a, in another portion, in the book of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is, is, is asking the disciples, who do men say that I am? Do you remember this? And, and the disciples are saying, some say prophets, some say Elijah. And, and then he says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, You've not known this amongst you, but the Holy Spirit has revealed this to you. That's the only way you know that. And don't tell anyone. And then, like eight verses later in that chapter, Jesus is talking about the suffering that he's going to have to go through in his death and resurrection. And Peter, who's now like, you know, I hear the Holy Spirit. Same man. He's like, I'm gonna have to set Jesus straight on this one. So he, he doesn't do it in public. He wants to do it in private because he's probably you know, a good guy. So he says, uh, excuse me, Jesus, can you come here, please? I need to talk to you. He says, you know what you've been saying? That's not gonna happen to you, Jesus. This isn't gonna happen. I forbid it to happen. Can you imagine saying that to your Lord, your Savior? I forbid you. To talk about these things and Jesus who told Peter that on this rock I will build my church that the Holy Spirit has revealed these things to you eight verses later says get behind me Satan the same man who could hear the Holy Spirit you know oftentimes we get things so wrong there's moments in my life, maybe in your life, where you hear the Lord, you're right on, you're tracking with him. And then there's moments where you drift from what he says and you don't even realize it. This drifting happens in all of us. It's a, it's a, it's a propensity of the, of the human heart without God. There's even books written about it. There's a book called Mission Drift, where every organization, in its founding, is always different after the founders leave. It's like they drift from the mission. They never refocus from the original mission of the of the, and they use different organizations. There was this, um, there was this university that they started for seminary students, for people who are passionate for God, who wanted to, uh, who wanted to do great things for God, and so they started this uh, amazing university and it was called, I believe it was uh, Princeton. And then years later, after generations go by, this, this seminary starts to lose focus, this university starts to lose focus, and people are upset about it, and they say, you know, we're gonna do a different, you know, we're gonna do a different, So we're gonna start something new, what God wants, and so they start a university called Yale. And then they break off, and it kept happening and happening and happening. Why? Because people lose the mission. They lose the focus. It's not just something that happens in your life. It happens in all of our lives when we don't keep centered and anchored in who he is. And so here are the disciples who heard Jesus prophesy about what was to come had prepared all of them. Two and a half days later, forgotten, even the women, they didn't realize until the angels had reminded them of all that Jesus had to go through. And it says, and then they remembered. Let's just keep going for a little bit longer. I know I'm totally breaking these rules. My former professor would be very upset. So in, verse 20, in verse, uh, chapter 24, verse eight, it says, and then they remembered his words and return from the tomb and reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. And now there were uh, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and also the other woman with them were telling these things to the apostles. I think sometimes women are the best evangelists. Men are too, but men. But what was so interesting in verse 11 says, but these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping in and looking in, and he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home marveling at what had happened. You see, this whole scene has the disciples, the warriors of God, the ones who've seen miracles, signs, wonders, who've seen everything Jesus had done, have all of a sudden drifted so far and forgotten so much, and because it doesn't look like the way that they thought Jesus was gonna save everyone, they were terrified. They lock themselves in a room. They are broken. They are uh, in a bad, bad place. It, they, they, they're like huddling together going like, what are we gonna do now? I always like wonder what happened. When I read the scripture, I like visualize like it's a story in my head as I'm reading it. And I'm like, you know, Jesus realized that they needed an encounter to understand his resurrection. See, oftentimes when we look at the gospel message, we skip through it, in our minds, we go, the, the birth of Christ, we go, the, the the death of Jesus, the resurrection, and then we go, and then he ascended into heaven, and then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit was poured out. But but the reality is, he was on earth after his resurrection for 40 days. That's why it's so hard to deny the resurrection of Christ because he didn't reveal himself to one person or two people or three people or 40 people or 12, whatever. He, he, re, he revealed himself, it said, Apostle Paul said, to 500 more or more witnesses. That's a lot of people. You know, in an Orthodox Jewish tradition, to be a witness, you need two. Two. You, two people have to witness it. I, I was talking to an Orthodox Jewish friend of mine. He said, you know, technically, you know, uh, if, if, if people were running, if a guy was chasing another guy and, and, and one, you know, and, and all of a sudden they go behind a tree and they, you, their view is blocked and then the guy ends up, you know, dead. You can't, that's not a witness. You can't say that he killed him. Like they, they are really particular about eyewitnessing and how important it is in their tradition. And Jesus, to, to break every shadow of doubt in everyone's mind, revealed himself to hundreds of people. Because the thing about the kingdom of God is uh, you can talk about it because it's truth and it resonates and it will feed you. That's what's so great about the Bible, about the word of God. We will never stray from what the word of God is, truth. That's my plumb line. That keeps me straight. But Jesus did two things. He talked about the kingdom and he displayed the kingdom. Or he displayed the kingdom and he talked about the kingdom. He, he understood that you need to hear the truth and encounter the truth, or encounter the truth and hear the truth. Just to have one is not enough. He spoke the truth to them even through his death. He said, you know, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna rise again three days later. He, he, he laid it out for them. And even though that was truth, they still need to experience him. He understood this. He knew that people needed to be rallied. You know, this year has been quite crazy, and I know everyone talks about it when they talk to you because it is so traumatic and crazy. Last time I was here, I was talking about how I was changing my plans every week to every month. I was like, when it first came out in March, I was like, oh, yeah, let's, let's, hunkered down for two weeks. And in April, I delayed all my plans for April. I changed plane tickets, I changed meetings, and I kinda enjoyed the two-week rest. Looking forward to what was going to happen in April. And then April happened, and they're like, it might go to May. I was like, okay, for sure, after May, it's gonna be over. And then June happened. I was like, look, it's summer. They're They're not gonna shut down for summer. And then in the summer, around that time, I like just blew up my plans. I was like, I'm tired of delaying my plans. I'm just like scrapping everything. You know, oftentimes we think things are going to happen in a certain way, but God has a different way of showing you what's going to happen. And no matter how bad it looks, I guarantee he will redeem it because that's what he's good at doing. And he will encounter you in your bad, most distressful, most broken moment and bring you to your destiny and your calling. You know, it reminds me of an old uh, uh, movie, uh, Braveheart. I know uh, some people are shocked when I say old, but I, I remember as a boy, I was a teenager, watching Braveheart, and I loved watching William Wallace, who's a true character in history, by the way. And William Wallace was this, this Scottish uh, 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 village man who, who decided to fight the English oppression of Scotland. And so England is like the most powerful foe for them, an organized weapon with shields and and spears and horses and they're strong and and they have all these, you know, they're super organized and there's, there's really no way Scotland could really ever try to even win one battle with them. But here William Wallace goes from village to village recruiting average, ordinary people. He said, get what you have in your hand. Sticks, those forks, those pitchforks, whatever you can bring, bring it to battle. And here he defeats England in so many battles that it actually became known in history. And so... Here's Jesus knowing that his disciples are in this chaotic, broken place, and instead of abandoning him and abandoning the disciples, he decides that no, I will show myself and reveal myself to them. There's this one moment where he actually floats through a wall, freaks them out. They're terrified. He says, Peace to you, tries to calm them down. And they see the risen Lord. You know, someone who wasn't there was Thomas. I always wondered what what happened to Thomas. Like, why wasn't Thomas there? I mean, they call him Doubting Thomas, Thomas the Twin, Thomas the Double Mind. That's kind of his nicknames there. And, uh, but I was like, you know, Thomas didn't, didn't witness Jesus's resurrection when the rest of the disciples did, which meant he was somewhere else. But I, I'm like, well, these guys, it's not like they were special. They were scared. It's not like Thomas was like, had left the pack for, uh, you know, differently than they did. I think Thomas might even, I'm, I'm reading into scripture. This isn't just, this is just my theory. I think Thomas was like, they were like, all right, Thomas, we're gonna draw straws on who to get groceries. We're scared, you know? Because it says that when they see Thomas, after Jesus has revealed himself to them, they say, Thomas, you can't believe it, Jesus is risen. He came and saw us. He's like, yeah, right, come on guys, no way. He's like, they're like, no, 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 he has, he's come. He's, he's come and greeted us, he's met us. He's like, mm, I don't believe you. Not unless I put my hand in his side. You gotta be kidding me. So of course, Jesus never revealed himself to him because of Thomas's doubt. No, I'm just kidding, of course he did. He didn't leave him alone, because why? Thomas is a son. You don't leave your sons and daughters. We are not orphans, but we've been adopted into the family of God, and he pursues us. There's a Peter who's out on the boat going back to what he had done before, fishing trying to do and give him some resemblance of life again. And so I just imagine he's just throwing that net out there. Man, I wish I could have had another shot. I wish I didn't deny him three times. I can't believe this is happening. I failed. I, this is, I, 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 I'm lost. I can't understand this. And, and, and he's trying to go and do what he had done before. And you know what's crazy is that whenever you try to do something without Jesus, it's never as good as doing it with Jesus even when it's something like fishing sometimes we think of our jobs and we think and we compartmentalize them we go our job is where we work and where we have you know we create income and our church is where we worship god and we don't, and we don't really mix the two but i want to tell you right now that jesus can bring abundance in your workplace every time he showed up at the fishermen's job they always had more than enough And so we need to bring Jesus into those areas too. But Jesus is rallying his troops. He gets John. He gets uh, Peter. He gets um he goes to the road to Emmaus, and he hears these guys. He, he cloaks himself. He, they don't recognize him, and he's, he hears them discussing about the differences between what had happened with, uh, in Jerusalem with Jesus, and, and, and they're arguing with one another, and Jesus is, is, hears them, and so he starts walking with them, and he starts saying, well, didn't you understand these were the things that were prophesied, and, and Isaiah said these things, and, and he's just describing them, and, and it said that their hearts were burning within them. There's something different about this man and that man who's Jesus was gonna go on to another village but they begged him to come and stay. And when they stayed with him and he broke the bread with them, their eyes were open and he disappeared and they were so ecstatic that they finally had seen the risen Lord. It changed everything. It made Our perspective, it made their perspective go from lost, confused, dazed, broken to, oh my word, it's true, he's alive. And that made the whole difference was the encounter. I wanna tell you folks, whatever's happening in your life right now, the brokenness, the confusion, the being dazed, The difficulty, all of it can change when we renew our focus that he's alive. When we have that encounter, when we realize that we can engage a living God, not a dead God, not a theorized God, but a real God, Jesus. I want to encourage you. I love apologetics. I study apologetics which is the explanation of Christianity and the research of why the gospel is true. If you haven't done that in your spare time, I encourage you to do that. Read the Bible but also know why we know it's true. It's not just a book that fell out of heaven but it was inspired by God. Jesus We have extra canonical things. We have have things outside of scripture that testify of the life of Jesus. We have manuscripts that are so old that that we can date them sooner than any other older manuscript of any other religion or God. We serve a true and living God and we need to realize that because when we do, when when we have faith to engage the living God, he will meet us where we are. He's not waiting for you to clean up your life. He's not waiting for you to be perfect. The only requirement that Jesus has of us is that we come surrendered just as we are. If you come surrendered just as you are, broken, dazed, confused, out of focus, out of your mind, I don't know, some of you maybe, He will put you in right place. He did it for the disciples. He will do it for us. And he spent so many days with them, 40 days. It's just so amazing. I, I don't wanna get ahead of myself here, but I'm going to. He tells them, listen, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I, I cannot send the Holy Spirit to you. There is a helper who's coming. How many you think that Jesus was an advantage to the disciples with him for three years? Doing signs, wonders, miracles. Under his ministry, everything was happening seeing the dead raised, seeing people getting healed left and right, hearing, seeing people get converted into truth, you know, just like hearing truth bombs and blowing away the Pharisees. And I mean, Jesus was an advantage to the disciples. Yet, in the midst of that, Jesus tells the disciples, It is to your advantage that I go away. Or in some translations, he says, it is for your good that I go away. And church, I just think some of us need to take advantage of our advantage again. Because Jesus says he has this specific commandment. See, his mission wasn't complete just when he died on the cross. Sometimes our understanding stops there. And we say he died on the cross for our sins, the atonement of our sins, and he rose again on the third day. But if we look at the whole story, we have to keep going. It's not just enough to get our ticket into heaven. We have to continue the beliefs that Jesus had laid out for us. We receive Christ, we receive the spirit of Christ. We, 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 we need to continue from that moment between the 40 days and then the 10 days. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, go to that place where we had communion. Go to that place where I washed your feet. Go to that place, that upper room, and pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out unto you. Because he knew, now that they were rallied together, now that they had the great commission, under their title, under their belt, as a mandate for their life and for the church. He said, pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. That's a 10-day wait. You know, I always wondered how long I would have lasted in the upper room. I mean, I know, I'm just, can I be real with you guys? You know, if the, if this, if the sermon's like 40 plus minutes, sorry, Alan, I'm like, it's so good, and I'm hungry, but you're really good, and I'm so hungry. I know they did other things, they, you know, they ate, they probably fellowship. they picked a disciple. There were things that were happening in that upper room, but they were together for 10 days. I mean, I would have been like, after day one, I'd be like, you know, we did a really good job, let's go back. Day two, I'm like, I got this, I'm on fire, I know, I met Jesus, I know. we're gonna wait for this Holy Spirit, and then day three, I'm gonna be like, Okay, Jesus was raised from the dead in three days. Come on, this is gonna be great. This is gonna be the time. Three's a great number. Day four, I would have been like, maybe he came and we just missed, you know, like maybe it was, there was that one breeze that came through that window. Remember that day? It was beautiful and there was, there was a dove that landed. That could have been it because there, that, that was it. I think that was it. I don't know. What, like, what would it have looked like? How long would I have lasted? Day seven, been like, look, seven's a a real biblical number in the Old Testament, guys. This is the day. I mean, that would have tested my faith more than anything, I think. But there's something about an encounter with Jesus that keeps you steadfast. That's why Jesus knew that anyone who wants to follow him needs it. It's important. Just knowing the Bible is not enough. Knowing the story is not enough. You need to know the person, the risen King, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to know you. He's been waiting to get to know you. On that 10th day, it said that the Holy Spirit was poured out like tongues of fire and rushing wind. And this anointing, the Spirit, Spirit of God, that now resided in the disciples. And for everyone who knows God, who everyone who's accepted Christ as our Savior, you have this Holy Spirit with you. And just like Alan so eloquently said before I got up here, sometimes the line between chaos and order is so thin. I think some of us are awaiting for another baptism. Jesus said this when he was talking to disciples about the Holy Spirit before he was crucified. He's just trying to explain it to them. He said, let me explain it. You being evil, if you asked, if your children asked you for bread, you would not give him a stone? How much more would I give? How much more would the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He said, let me try to explain another way. Like if a neighbor, a friend of neighbor came to, to you in the middle of the night and they were begging for bread, like knocking on your door incessantly, wouldn't you just give him bread to send them away, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit for those who ask? Jesus even said this. He said, knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. Now, that, that, the way, the verb that's in there is actually continual. And so sometimes we, we interpret the verb like this. You hear God? I'm here, God. Where are you? Right, that's how we approach our requests. That's how we approach God for a baptism of the Spirit or maybe an outpouring or whatever we're asking for when Jesus actually told us to do this. God, I need you. God, I can't survive without you. Holy Spirit, I need you right now. Would you help me? Would you comfort me? Would you empower me? Would you equip me? Because there's nothing more that I need right now in this moment than you. And I understand time frames at church. I'm not saying we need longer church services. God forbid I'm saying that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is knocking at church once is not enough. You need to go home and do this. God, are you hearing me? I'm not gonna stop. I'm gonna be like that neighbor in the middle of the night because we want everything that Jesus paid for. And when you look at the whole gospel for the atoning of our sins, for the healing of our bodies, for the outpouring of the spirit, to only live a life of a few of those things or one of those things is not the life that Jesus envisioned we would live because he cares about you. He wants to restore you. I don't even know what time I got up here. We're going to we're going land this plane, I promise. It's all good. I love the picture of Jesus ascending into heaven, you know. Um, Jesus is God incarnate. At the birth of Jesus Christ, it was a, a, an amazing picture of God becoming Man, he never gave up his deity. He was 100% God, 100% man. It's, it's like literally heaven coming to earth. And yet in the ascension, it doesn't stop there. But we actually see Jesus ascending into heaven. Again, I'm visualizing this. They're all together on the mount. There, and he's ascending into heaven. And then it says that a cloud took him. Now, I always thought like, man, it must have been cloudy that day. You know, like the disciples were going, oh, he, oh, man, if that cumulus cloud wasn't there, I wish I could see Jesus keep going. You know what I mean? But he wasn't going to a physical destination. Like he wasn't going through the atmosphere into space to another planet. He was going to heaven. And he was this that, that cloud was a glory cloud, it's the Shekinah cloud, it's the same cloud that was on the Mount Transfiguration, it's the same cloud that was on Mount Sinai, it's the same cloud that still exists in in church history where it's been rolled in, the Shekinah glory cloud is rolled into services, that same cloud uh, uh, consumed Christ as he went to heaven and now Jesus who had been heaven on earth has now become earth into heaven who is now our mediator, intercessing for us to the Father. This is the gospel. Jesus, our risen King, it's time to come to him again. I wanna invite you to stand. I wanna pray for you. Transition can be hard and transition, there can be pain involved. Jesus talks about this. He said in, uh, in John sixteen twenty one, he said, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into, wor- into the world. So you, also you have sorrow now but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Listen guys, we are joyful people because we are not living in hopelessness. And if you are, change that channel because the hope of God is living inside of us, the hope of glory, Jesus Christ.